Welcome to the Panoramic Outdoors Podcast, connecting you to all things outdoors. Welcome to episode 108 of the Panoramic Podcast. I just uh, love that Dell Barber intro. Every time I hear it, it puts a smile on my face. So thanks, big thanks to Dell for putting it together for us and his crew. Hopefully, it's not too long before you're back on the road again, Dell, and able to tour. This episode, we got a, a wily old vet of the, the NHL with us, Tim Hunter. Hunts, I believe was his nickname, joined us on the podcast. And Chase, uh, you sat down. I'm not sure how you felt, but I've feel like we could have done a, a whole podcast with just the five burners there with them. Yeah, it was a great episode, man. Really enjoyed talking to Tim. He sounds like he's been on a hell of a lot of adventures in his day. So that's super cool. And it, it was it was almost like peeling back the layers on him. You know, the deeper we got or the further along in conversation that we got with him, the deeper we got and the we got some pretty awesome stories out of him. Cool connections. So yeah, had a blast with that one. Yeah, I think it's pretty telling when you you ask a somewhat innocuous question. What's your favorite meal? And then all of a sudden you're 45 minutes down a rabbit hole or something like that. And you're, <laughs> you're a few stories deep. Tim can tell stories. I'll tell you that much. We got a lot of great ones packed into that podcast. And I think it's it's almost imperative that we get them back on in a later date here. So Sheldon, thanks for hooking us up with that one. But one before we hop into the, the Hunter podcast, like one thing I'm really excited about is we actually got together and got to do some stuff else this past weekend, eh? Yeah, exactly. It was super fun. Other than the weather was pretty shitty, but we got to get out and do a little bit of walleye fishing on uh, Big Windy. But um, yeah, got Tim Hunter hooked up with you guys. I'm super excited to hear this one. I've never, uh, I haven't listened to it yet, so I'll be waiting until it launches. But I was pumped to get onto that one, and then something happened where I couldn't uh, schedule it properly. So you, got, you two did it. But yeah, back to the Winnipeg thing. I don't know why I went on that little tangent. But the Lake Winnipeg thing is <laughs> super good to get out on the ice and cook some food. And we got some new Jiffy Ice Augers that we got to try out, which I'm super, super stoked about. Um, and I'm going to tell all you guys about it right now. Jif- we picked up a Jiffy Rogue. It's one of those two-speed electric. It's You can get it in a 6, 8, or 10-inch flight. We've got, we have got had the 10, or sorry, no, we had the 8-inch. And we used it. We drilled probably 30, 40 holes with it and, and, and didn't have any problems so far. It's really fast. It's got two speeds. We were cutting on the lower speed, and it seemed to do a really good job. It's got reverse. Yeah, it's just a really, really cool system. And the other thing I was going to talk about with Jiffy is that we also grabbed their Scout, and it's like for 40 bucks, I believe it is, and it's a two-and-a-half-inch cutting diameter, so you can just throw it on the end of your like hand drill, like what you're going to go and build a deck with, throw it on that thing, and you can go and drill, and with a two-and-a-half-inch diameter, you can check those holes with like your transducer or like a camera. You could use it for like staking out trails or doing whatever you're doing with on the ice just for you know safety things right so the, that the jiffy scout like i said was like 40 bucks and it saved us from drilling with the big auger in a bunch of spots because we just drilled out spots checked the depth and you know checked with the transducer and seen if there's any fish and we kind of just f- and found some like you know checked out some land underneath the water can't even think of that word right now the structure it's, it's, the bottom it's structure. Got to- structure yeah it's it's got a i noticed it had a ruler on the 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 scout had a ruler right on the the flight there as well so you could check ice thickness too right 
Yeah, absolutely. The, and it's all color coded, so it kind of tells you like, you know, red's danger, blah blah blah, to give you like the right thickness of where maybe you should or shouldn't be. So that's kind of cool. And like I said, I think it was like forty bucks, and it saved us a lot of a lot of work just pinpointing certain spots where we wanted to fish. So huge thank you to Jiffy Ice Augers, Jiffy Ice Drills. If you want to check them out, you can. They've they're available in a lot of spots in Manitoba all across Canada. Stillwater Adventures in in Verdon carries them, for instance. But go to JiffyOnIce.com. And you can check them out and you can get all the information from them. I think for it's free over $100. And they have one of those maps where it shows you where all the dealers are uh, near you. And a bunch of videos too on there too. So check them out. That's JiffyOnIce.com. Chase, you were punching with the electric too, I noticed. And we've been gas auger guys our whole life here. So what was, did you notice a difference with the the Jiffy electric? Yeah, I, it, it's super nice because obviously you don't have to deal with the, the fuel aspect of it. And when I went out to the ice shack with the kids, it was also nice because, you know, you don't have to worry about ear protection in the ice shack. I always like throw on a set of earmuffs when I head in there so I don't damage my already severely damaged hearing. Drilling holes in the ice shack, you don't have to deal with the the emissions in there, the gas, the, the exhaust and all that. So, and the, I mean, it's, it's comparing a 10 inch to a, an eight inch, but the, the electric, I bet you it drills almost twice as fast in the slow speed as our as our Eskimo. Mind you, you are talking about brand new sharp blades compared to dull Eskimo blades as well. So there's a little bit of a play in that, but overall very satisfied with the product, you know? Yeah, I think we had it on Lake Winnipeg on perhaps the windiest day of the year. And if it's if it's punching holes on Big Windy, then it's probably gonna work anywhere I'd manage. Mm-hmm. I'll definitely second the the comment about the electric use in the ice shack because there's nothing worse than climbing into an already cold ice shack, trying to get it heated up. And now you got the door wide open to not only protect your hearing, but just not choke yourself out from the, yeah. I, I like the smell of a two stroke just as much as anyone else. Right. Don't get me wrong, but I don't want to be spewing that thing right in my face as I'm cutting holes and, uh, and not being able to properly ventilate, or if I'm ventilating, the the shack's just freezing with the wind ripping through it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, that was sweet. The other thing I appreciated, like, we didn't get on a ton of fish for Lake Winnipeg, but what I can say is that it was a ton of fun hanging around with you guys and getting to relax a little. I feel like we haven't got to do that since, what, like summertime maybe? It's been a while, man. It's been some time since we've gotten out, relaxed, and and just done stuff and hung out and got a little bit of content and cooked some good food and just uh, really just relaxed as a crew. Caught a few fish, had some good laughs, you know. Sheldon, what do you think? You went and spent the night out there. Yeah, I ended up staying the night out there. It was uh, pretty cozy. I mean, with the wind and uh everything else it got super cold but i don't know I'm, when it comes to ice fishing especially in a permanent shack i'm always the sucker when it comes to you know food and laughing and telling stories and stuff like we could have caught zero fish that day and i would have been super happy and like just said we didn't hammer them but we did catch a few so that was good got a few fish taken what else what like what more could you ask for i guess but yeah stay the night it was super it was super comfy because you had to have that fire burning pretty quick and tyler had his tv there so we, we watched a movie or two and you know, it was good. Have a few snacks before bed, and we're up right first thing in the morning when the sun was coming up, making coffee and trying to catch them again. So it worked out really well. The snacks were on. What Do you guys have a favorite? Sheldon, I was really impressed you made that scramble when we first got in, and 
you use a secret ingredient that I would have never thought of using. Can you take, can you walk us through that scramble, buddy? A secret ingredient that you wouldn't have thought I would have used. No, what, yeah. So what I did basically is I fried up some, I had some deer burger mixed with the pork fat and I, and there's, it wasn't seasoned at all. So I used a little bit of garlic and some other stuff with it. And then I, yeah, just, it was a, I, I like to call it like a Western skillet, maybe. No, uh, maybe not Western. I don't know what I'd call it. But yeah, it had uh, that meat and it had eggs, cheese, and progies. Um, so you threw a little bit of sour cream at the end and yeah, it was pretty good. Is that the secret ingredient? Was progies? Yeah, progies are a game changer for me, man. Oh, yeah, it was it was like, awesome. Instead of using like the hash brown, you got like this really cool, like pierogi texture all of a sudden in, in your scramble. And it, like, I think it just came together awesome. Oh, thanks, man. I, I think yeah. I got a, a cheddar dill pierogi as well, which was. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> 200 points for Chase. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, no, it was, it was great to be out with you guys. Chase, did you have a favorite meal or memory from the from the shack attack that weekend? You know what? It was it was like I felt good to be out there. You know, I it's not too often I get to watch an entire movie and not get interrupted these days oh, at at yeah. home kind of thing. So it's it's uh it's a change of pace for sure. And you didn't even get it interrupted by a bite, which was really nice, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, fishing was slow, rather slow in the afternoon. We did pretty good, pretty decent when we got there for the first little while. And, you know. Well, hey, Chase, we, what, sorry, what, what are those new rods that we picked up? Did you like those? Are you still talking about food? Sorry. I just take yeah, No, yeah, just give her, man. <laughs> yeah. I like the rods. I, I made an error last year when I, I picked up I picked up one of those quantum, like, long. I, what are they, like, probably like a 36-inch rod, I would imagine. And, and I picked yep. up a medium heavy, which is a little heavy for walleye. But this time around, I had the medium action. And let me tell you, that's that's right in the sweet spot for walleye, I think. And, and even uh, smaller trout, that's what I would use, I think. It's got enough of a soft tip that you can really feel that bite. Mm-hmm. And then what I love about the, the longer rod is it gives you enough backbone to uh, if you've seen a dry lake hook set, you, you know what they look like. You know, make sure your lights are covered in your shack if you you've got them up but if the drag ain't going off on your hook set you're not doing it right yeah <laughs> if that fish ain't going to the chiropractor after you release it you're not setting the hook hard enough so okay but that medium action was right in the seat sweet spot i thought yeah and for those rods like i'm not one to go out and buy a 250 dollar rod or even like a 250 dollar rod real combo those rods that we we picked up are super affordable you can get them from you know, a lot of different retailers across Manitoba, across Canada, wherever. But for what they are and for the price you pay for them, it's like the perfect weekend rod in my mind. Like I'm kind of like the weekend fisherman, right? I'm not going out six, five, six days a week. I'm going out for the weekend and I can't afford to spend a lot of money on a whole bunch of different nice fishing rods. So they have, like you said, that medium was a, kind of the, the sweet spot rod and yeah, it's affordable. So why not use them? You know who I did notice that stocks quantum products locally for us is uh and chase i don't know if you noticed we stopped there to pick up bait was uh harvester outdoors i i know they carry pretty much the full quantum line there i think yeah and so that's that's an easy spot for us to swing by on the way to lake winnipeg and not only pick up bait but pick up pick up just a a rod or two if we need yeah they do it all man they got the quantum they got the jiffy ice augers there too and they got Pretty much everything you need to get suited up for a day of fishing out on out on Lake Winnipeg. The other cool thing is, I'm sure most of you have already seen if you follow our Instagram, social media, but there's been a bit of a, a sad, sad moment in the fishing industry here in Manitoba where uh, a lot of money was raised in a fishing tournament for the Children's Hospital. 
here in Winnipeg, and uh, that money didn't make it there. Now, we don't have all details, and there's still a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes there, but Sean and Angie from Harvester Outdoor, Outdoors stepped up, and all the proceeds from their bait sales at the store this winter will be going to the Children's Hospital. So if you need any inclination to, uh, to go buy your bait somewhere, there it is. I know I spent a little bit of time in the Children's Hospital growing up, and it is, I'm very thankful to have a facility like that. And let's, let's hopefully just keep it, keep it up to date, keep it available. Yeah, well said, man. And they got these mud minnow things. Have you seen these things? They look like minnows on steroids. No that's what you need the heavy quantum rod for. Handling yeah, the minnows, that's heavy man. action quantum rod, <laughs> eh? Shut the drag. Yeah. No, minnows taking line those things are yeah. are huge i've definitely caught smaller fish than those minnows for sure yeah. so wow that's the sign of a good fisherman you got really soft hands there eh? yeah they're they're definitely made for the the big mamas on lake winnipeg is is what i'm told i haven't tried them out yet on the lake but they people talk very highly of them so go check them out apparently they work wonders yeah huge thank you to tyler who hosted us in the shack this weekend i tyler i doubt you're listening to this but anyone who knows tyler you know is a stand-up guy so it was uh, good to have the gathering spot and oh, hot shack. It was nice holes. to get in, get into a hot shack once we got out there because we had to do a little bit yeah. of shoveling on the way out. We unfortunately, it was. I'm going to blame it on the overcast and time of day. Time of day was bad. Yeah, there was zero shadows out there. There was some really big snow drifts because of the wind out there and the snow. And uh, most of them were hard enough to drive over, which was a godsend because we would have really been screwed more than what we were while we're out there and uh, we managed to drive over most of them but a couple we ended up getting dug down in and we had to do some shoveling the first one we had to shovel the entire truck out but it was nice because we had two shovels so make sure you always bring a spare shovel for your buddy yeah and then and then the second one wasn't too bad just our front tires were kind of hung up there so once the once the tires get down dug to the ice so there's no moving anywhere so you got to get her dug out Bring some sand with you for traction too, or something, something that yeah. uh, you can throw chase that ash to. Hey, at least we weren't as bad as uh, Buddy. Buddy was asking us for uh, who's a good tow company because he had a shack halfway into Ooh, the ditch there. Man. That was that looked unfortunate, and I'm not going to judge because I I know just with how bad the roads are, you were probably, you know, you were close enough to that happening to anyone that day i'm sure so yeah it, was, it wasn't a, a situation situation i'd want to be in wasn't a great day to be on the roads in general we're we're pretty pretty slow heading out there and yeah his one truck was full on in the rhubarb in the in the ditch there and then the shack was not very far behind him so tough yeah. situation but looked like they were making the best of it and uh didn't look like anyone was hurt which was good so yeah yeah. The the other thing that I'm excited about is the Lockport Shack, which we've reported on earlier. Big red there, if you see it around floor for Gary. Um, it's actually heating up there. Or yeah. it has heated up. And not only that, it's nice to have our own shack going close distance and the boys have been able to catch some fish. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I've they... had a few guests in there already. They've they've got on fish. So kids are know, pumped. Just, Kids have been yeah. catching fish. They get in there, throw a couple hot dogs on the grill, and you get down there before me sometimes to to warm it up for me, which is nice. That's always a big help, especially with the with the boys, because it's always a handful. Like you said earlier, get the shack warm, drill the holes, clear the holes, and then especially when it's super cold out, you're still trying to like 
manage frostbite and children and all that and and they're always eager to get in there and and like get fishing right so i always give them the no 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 stay in the truck i'll get the shack ready and once things are like ready to rock then we can get in there and and be warm kind of thing so the uh, having a shack warm is a, is a big first step to get in there yeah. really quick did you did you notice it was the fire was going before you got in or no? I did. I seen some smoke coming out of the chimney and I thought, no, <laughs> this is awesome. And I thought I was seeing stuff at first and I was like, ah, you know, the, the chimney just like passing through the trees and the shoreline and it's, it's not really smoke coming out. And then when I got closer, I was like, oh, that's smoke. Sweet. So yeah. I've, uh, I had a few motos are heading down there. One, I, I took Willie for a run and Willie actually ran all the way to the shack, which was impressive. I thought he was going to get too cold, but he did just fine. The, the second was I've had a few people ask me of how to get to my place by snowmobile or like, Hey, can I get to your place by sled? And it's like, yeah, yeah, you can. And I've tried to explain it to them, but it always gets lost in translation. So unless you've run the route, you don't know it. Yeah. But what I did do is I put my eye hunter on, put it in my pocket and ran a track. So now I can share that track with anyone who has eye hunter. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking of what other app could I do that with? Can I do like my Apple maps or Google maps? Probably not. Right. So I've got a save track on eye hunter that I can just share as a message or as a, as anything really yeah. with anyone that wants to hit the back roads to my place right so which yeah. is kind of cool that's one of the big things too with traveling on ice you know uh especially with people who, who don't travel the ice lots it it's nice to have an actual route in your in your navigation device that you can say like okay i'm actually on the right path here in the river there's not a lot of places to go that you might be worried about like when you're coming down the floodway there am i going to get onto some thin ice potentially but on the lake, it could be more useful because, you know, there's only so many trails that you can really follow out there to, to be real safe. And we even used it out there on the on the weekend when we were heading out to the shack to meet Tyler and Sheldon too, right? So they dropped us oh, yeah. uh, a waypoint. Sheldon actually shared his location with me. That's what he did. And then we just go head to that location and it directs us right there. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah. And not only that, like you can... What I what I'm gonna start doing is marking where the crossings are on the pressure ridge because when stuff gets blown in, mm-hmm. you need to know where those crossings are. You can't f around with with crossing just randomly those pressure ridges on Big Windy because you you'll sink yourself. Especially if, guys go sink. Especially right? if so, the if the if the visibility is low too, blowing snow yeah. and stuff like that, you can't see much. You can't see far. I've been turned around more than once in my day on that lake. So yeah, having that navigation is key. I also had someone ask me because they they wanted to do some, you know, exploring around Manitoba if, if there's anywhere to get crown maps or like figure out where crown land is. And I said, I under, it's the simplest way. Like you can get them printed off at these at Canada map sales, but yeah, I hunter is the, the easiest way to do it. And I know they got the, all that other information for the other provinces too, right? Whether you're in Saskatchewan and those other places, right? Yeah. So, they yeah, work, they work super hard at that. And the thing is, too, I was I was having this conversation with Mark before about you know some of the maps. Some of them aren't available right now, and and some of the RMs don't even have maps available because the the land transfers hands so much that you actually have to go that, into that, the those office. Those are the landowner maps, though, right? Yeah, the landowner maps. But there are some other ones that you might be able to buy a paper map from. But Mark 
only puts like the latest and greatest stuff on the app. So he's like, I'm not going to charge somebody for this old map that is going to get renewed right away. So he's, if there's a couple out there that you don't have yet and you're looking for, he's essentially just waiting for a better version to come out so he can provide like the best quality product to everybody. So, which is sweet. Yeah. So we've talked about it all the time, but get yourself eye hunter. If you're in Canada, especially it's the best tool going, I think. So. Yeah. And you know, everyone's sitting out there procrastinating right now thinking about like, Oh, you know what? I'll wait till summertime. I'll go run into the map sales place and grab my paper maps. You're probably not going to do it anyways. Start doing your scout now, grab your maps from eye hunter and learn, learn the area right now while you're at home in the wintertime, while you're in ice shack, yeah. you can be scouting. So Totally. Yeah. I got I got two things to talk about here with you. One good thing, one bad thing. Hey, okay. Let me just I gotta ask Sheldon a question. Sheldon, did you did you know that Tim Hunter's from Lockport? Lockport, Manitoba? Yeah. No, I didn't know that. Well, I don't think he actually is, but he can tell a Lockport story like no other, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say I'm like, I thought he like grew up with a on the farm somewhere in Alberta or Saskatchewan or something. Yeah, agree, he's yeah. from Alberta. But he's got a way around the Lockport story, let me tell you. Sorry, Jace. Had to had to get that in there quick. No worries. No worries. So I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you the you know how I'm like always thrift shopping and stuff like that for, for like hunting and camping gear, right? So today I came across this deal on the old Facebook marketplace and picked myself up pretty much brand new stainless steel nine cup coffee perk for 20 bucks oh that's a good find yeah stainless 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 is nice yeah my uh, sale right now Canadian Tire for like 21.99 those ones come on the stainless ones (laughs) (laughs) for (laughs) 15.99 just sank a bit yeah but i'm pretty pumped about that i think they're regular like 65 acubellas or 50 50 bucks at uh they're they're not cheap the the stainless ones are expensive no my my aluminum one is like well on its way out and it's like tough to get the lid on and stuff and it's it's huge so um pretty pumped about that what i'm not pumped about though is my washing machine has been down and out for about a week and a half now here we go i know exactly where this is going yeah that's why you're wearing that same sweater yeah same sweater probably same under sweater too and same gitch because I'm now on my last pair of gifts. But the one thing I am wearing lots, obviously, for antimicrobial properties is, is the old wool love, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm surprised you're not dressed head to toe in it right now. I, I have to take a little break from it. Got to let it just, like, take a break because I don't want to. His kids are probably wearing it right now. His nighties going to bed. That's all he's got left. That's my that's my going out stuff now. So I'm not I'm not, you know don't have any odors and i'm still looking good and feeling good and and i'm warm it's been super cold the last little while which has been good for my laundry situation because it's just been wool love and and uh, the north wool stuff so super pumped to have that and been warm been you know antimicrobial not smelling but uh, also kept us warm on the lake actually i was wearing the north wool stuff when we're getting dug out of lots of those getting stuck there so that's handy to have out there, sweating in the wind, and then back in the truck, sweating again, and uh, off to the shack. So, still comfortable. Yeah. Tell me about the Northwall stuff. I haven't actually worn any of it. I, I'm, I'm eager to get into it, but I want to know what I'm. What what can I set myself up for here? Right. So it's it's a good question. It's, it's like there's some 
a mix of some spandex in there, I believe. Sheldon's, I think, the specialist on this, so maybe he can take it away. But it's more like it's more like of a an active wear. So yeah. there's uh, spandex, just a little bit uh, snugger fitting on the arms and stuff like that, and it still looks amazing. And it's the the top that I have actually has like a little pouch in it, like a hoodie, and it's got a hood on it. And it's pretty cool. It's a, it's a nice piece of equipment. I yeah. don't know if we were on the R&D team for this one, but I feel like we sent them a message with some of these ideas. Like, hey, it would be, would love the base layer, but to be honest, I would love a, a second layer of wool or something like cotton pants in between my, my shell and my base layer, right? So, like, mm-hmm. if, if I had two layers of wool, I'd be much happier in my existence outdoors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you want to get into wool love or any or even north wall, there's two ways you can do it. First way what we would say we suggest is go to www.wool.love and through there you can check out the north wall. It's a it's kind of like their sister company. So they come out with a three quarter inch zip hoodie that Chase was wearing, uh, some woman's leggings that Chase was wearing. No, I'm just kidding, he wasn't wearing those. And you can also check them out on Amazon.com. And if you are going to purchase anything from wool love, you can use our promo code. It's Panoramic Ten for $10 off your first purchase but that's only on the Wool Love website not on Amazon but if you want to check out some other gear go to Instagram and type in at northwool underscore apparel so you can check out their new stuff but yeah it's always a great gift for birthdays prizes whatever you got to do anybody that loves being outside it's a wicked system we've been wearing forever so check that out it's www.wool.love awesome and I'm looking forward to being even warmer outside I'm I'm wondering though, should we just get right to this podcast because Tim's not short on stories, and I don't want to deprive our listeners of further, well, basically the the life of Tim here. I, I'm not sure. I know Sheldon's excited for it. Chase, what do you feel? Yeah, let's roll it, man. I think people are gonna love this one. Okay, let's do it. Let's go. On today's episode, we have joining us Tim Hunter, normally from Calgary, Alberta, but today he's sitting down in Arizona. Tim, how's it going today? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Well, we're doing good. We're doing good. We're just at the beginning edge of uh, another winter storm here, so I'm, oh, I heard that. Uh, I'm a little bit jealous yeah. that you're settled down in the desert country right now. Well, when you get 60 and you want to retire, and, you know, I, I was in Moose Jaw for six years, a great six years. And I, but you know, the winters were brutally cold and they're having, a, they're having, they're probably getting a preempt of what you're getting. So we moved to Calgary and I tell people, oh, oh we're glad you're having, you're back in Calgary. But I say, I'm not back in Calgary for the winters because <laughs> I'm spending the winter, I'm spending the winter in Arizona. So we spent last winter here in Arizona. And this is our second year. So nice, nice on the old body to be able to walk and bike and play golf and stay active and not have to worry about slipping and sliding down the road when you take the dog for a walk. Yeah, no kidding. Tim, I thought we were going to be able to bond over a little misery here as I think Calgary's in a similar cold, cold snap as we are right now. But I see you've, you've left us in the snow to, to speak literally here. Yeah, and you know, great thing are Colin Patterson, who I played with in in Calgary, the Stanley Cup uh, team in '89. He lives in Calgary, and his daughter is living in our home while we're gone. And so I just check in now and again on 
on the house. You know, I have, you know, a security system and then check in on the thermostat and stuff and I'm, and a temperature outside temperature. I'm like, OMG. Yeah, it's cold in Calgary. I'm like, wow. So, but we're lucky to be able to have uh, somebody check in on our house and be there all the time. Man, you want the pipes freezing up. Oh yeah, I can imagine. I've had uh, my fair share of disasters this winter so far in, in this place. I definitely see how you can get nice and cozy in, in Arizona there. I spent a little bit of time down there too, and it's a nice place to be. And I, you certainly earned your way, I could say, down there. And judging by the the track record you had in the NHL, that it is probably easy on the easier on the bones in the Canadian winters. Well, yeah, and uh, my last year in Moose Jaw, I was going to be sixty in September, and I knew it was going to be my last year in Moose Jaw. We got jan- fired in January, and I thought, oh boy, this is going to help speed up the process. So we got a little help on the recovery of retiring. And uh, man, you know, all those winners in Canada, Calgary, Moose Jaw, you know, I, I love I love the north, but I don't love the north in the wintertime unless I'm <laughs> in a nice warm ice shack on a on a good lake where I'm catching good walleye and, and some, ah. some good perch. Nice, nice. That's that's the primary survival strategy at the moment. So I'm glad that you know that one. Uh, you can fall <laughs> back on that if you're ever stuck in the north again. Oh yeah, well it's you know everyone says, well, you, what you're catching fish or you're just drinking beer? Well, doing more. <laughs> I hope it's more catching fish and still drinking beer, which is fine. But uh, you have to be catching fish because you you know sitting there twiddling your thumbs. Yeah, uh, for sure. You run out of beer pretty quick if you're not catching fish you don't run out of beer it's just catching for some reason i'll tell you that much (laughs) awesome well before we get too deep into it here tim we always uh start off our podcast with what we call five burning questions and it's just a little get to know you session takes it a little bit hopefully personal level but um answer these questions as you will and hopefully we get a couple interesting answers so from from our conversations we've kind of figured out that one of your passions is fly fishing are you dry fly or wet fly both i prefer dry fly i've had some of the most amazing experiences of dry fly fishing my buddy john lauder he's got a ranch in Merritt, and we fly in the summer we take his plane he's got a little cessna 180 it's a 1953 cessna 180 it's the number 13th built Ooh. so we fly up the middle of bc up to the Yukon, Northwest Territory, over over to Alaska, fly down inside passage and, and fly fish, and then we salmon fish. And we went to a, a spot in just out at Anaheim Lake, lake. I went to a lake called Tom's Lake and fly in so that we were, we were on wheels this year, or we were on floats. And the fella at the lodge took us in and on a, on a beaver and dropped us in this place and we fished all day and the hatch was all day long it was amazing it's not like four hours three hours it was like seven hours of dry fly fishing and it was unbelievable and not big big fish but just non-stop cast fish cast fish and you, you know you just set that fly down you know I don't remember what dry fly we were casting, but, you know, something that just sits on the water and then boom. And for, we took a little break at lunch (laughs) 
<laughs> but for six or seven hours, it was crazy. It was unbelievable. Wow. That, that sounds pretty awesome. What uh, what were you guys catching out there? All rainbows, just, just rainbows. So, so you know, uh, it's Stewart Lodge is the name of the place in, in Anaheim. Nimpo Lake, they have that big float uh, base there. And this guy's got a really nice camp and lodge and he does some flying so he's got the beaver the 185 and he's he's we've been there we just we were just there this past july late june early july we went and he took us up and went the same spot and we didn't have the same experience but he does a great job they got a nice little lodge right on the lake there in, in anaheim and super fun and we had we had gone my buddy, actually, I called him up and I said, John, I said, I got a little time. I said, I want to do something. And he said, well, perfect. He said, because I have I have some time off. But then my summer's filled up. And he's a rancher. I'm like, how do you get time off? He goes, well, because I'm taking time off. He says, I got cancer. I'm like, holy Jesus. So he, he's got cancer. And he says, I may never be able to fish again. So we're going up to all our favorite places. We're going... We're going to fly all the way to Telegraph Creek. We're going to these two lakes we go to, fly out of Dee's Lake, blah, blah, blah. And then we're going to, on the way home, we're going to stop at, at Anaheim, fly into Stewart's Lodge. We'll do that. So we did this trip this, this past summer and kind of replicate all our favorite places all in one trip. Because he's, you know, he's, he's like, I got cancer. I might not survive. Well, he's surviving. He's doing fine. He's going to be okay. But... I was like, holy mackerel. Like, mm -hmm. so we, 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 we go into this one lake we normally go into. And so we call up these guys, they charter out of Dee's Lake, they charter a beaver. And so we're, okay, yeah, we're going to, we're coming in this day. We're going to be there. And, and that country is always fogged in. We, we, I've spent more days in Dee's Lake than Shake a Stick Act being fogged in because you can't fly it. We, we get in and we're we're ready and we're ready to go but we fly we fly over the lake coming into the airport because we're on wheels and the lake's frozen over and this float base is right at the end of the lake where it's frozen over i'm going how are they ever going to get a beaver in there on floats so we can fly to our lake and we're like kind of like i don't know about this and so anyways it turns out they couldn't get the beaver in because they couldn't get it on a white horse because it wasn't finished Oh, so now we got to take the, now we got to, now we're thinking of, so we're at the airport on wheels and these young guys are in the helicopter business and they're like, Hey, we'll take you. We're like, okay, how much? So they're, you know, it was like six or $700 to take the beaver in there and back, which is fine. But they're like, well, we can do it for $2,000. I'm like, oh, $2,000 for one day fishing. That's a lot. That's a lot of money. <laughs> So it turns out these guys couldn't take us because they didn't have a license to fly into the park because it's a park. And uh, it's just a lot, just north of the Stikeen River and just on the other side of Telegraph Creek. So we go into town. He says, well, there's a guy in town. He's got the license to fly. And so I, we're like, so can you fly? Yeah, oh, yeah, we can fly in there. So for like three times the price of a beaver flight, we flew in and did our trip. <laughs> but I wasn't going to let my buddy not go because he he wanted to go. So I've had my adventures in the north, I'll tell you that.
No kidding. Hey, so I think that might be the best burner we've ever had answered on this podcast. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> do you um, like fly fishing? Oh, well, yeah. that's pretty extreme. <laughs> I sure do. I'll give you a little, a little insight to my life too, Tim. I was a commercial helicopter pilot for 10 years as well. And you see a lot of faces drop when you start tossing around price points with, with people who are just interested in going for a rip in a helicopter. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Yeah, well, this guy, you know, he says, uh, well, let's, he's got a Bell uh, Long Ranger and um, flying out of these. And, you know, so he says it'll be $3,200 to fly in there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we go in the north, we bring three or $4,000 cash with us. So I said, so what's the cash price? And no GST, <laughs> and, you know, and, uh, Oh, well, we can do better than that. <laughs> so, you know, we, we, we ended up, it was okay. But, and here, you're a helicopter. So it's a funny story. So we're, we had been going in this country for years. And Pacific West Helicopters had a base there. Uh, Dees, the guy's name was Jim. He's a Kiwi. We used to always fly in on wheels or floats. And Jim would loan us a car and we'd drive into town stay at the motel and go to the grocery store, blah, blah, blah. So this guy who's got the base there now, I can't remember his name right offhand. He says, so we're flying out to our lake there. And he says, oh, yeah, Jim. Well, Jim, we call him the weed whacker. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Right? I'm going, oh, yeah, yeah. So I'm kind of thinking I know what that means. He goes, yeah, yeah. He's always lobbing off branches of pine trees and stuff when he's landing, right? So this this young guy, he's not young. He's just, he's 50 and we're 50. I'm 50, 60 and John's just 64. And he, his dad had the float, the, the helicopter base there. And now he's a privateer with his helicopter up there and he's flying around. So he flew into this lake and cleared a, in the winter time he landed on the ice and cleared a spot that he could blaze in a helicopter in the summer and land right so it's all cleared so we fly this guy says well i know where we're going we f- we fly by it and i said you know we just flew over where we we're going to land so he spins around and he's he's trying to tuck this bell long ranger into this little slot where this guy had cut all the trees back well he, he's coming in and I've been in lots of helicopters, but, you know, regular stuff. So he's trying to fit this thing in, and he's lobbing off branches off this Jeez. these two trees beside us. <laughs> and I'm going, and you're calling Jim the, the weed whacker, are you? <laughs> well, geez, we're laughing. We're going, yeah, and yeah, I know it's no big deal. A couple branches. not. He's not, he's just like little ends of the, the tree, not like big branches. Like he's not yeah, cutting yeah. an inch off branches, right, with those blades. But I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, the pot calling the kettle black, right? Yeah. Right. Oh. Yeah, you got to be careful what you say yeah. before you take off for a flight. <laughs> it might come back to bite you in the ass. Well, yeah, and and so you, how do you leave out of it? So he just r- rose straight up, went straight up, and and but he came in, in landing into the lake, and like I hope he doesn't back out that way, <laughs> you know. <laughs> No kidding. No kidding. Anyways, fun stuff, you know, and uh big part of my adventures in the north have been part of my buddy John. And just a great guy that he's an adventurer and loves moving around, 
but he doesn't have a buddy to do it with. Yeah, and yeah. I'm his buddy. And I've got I've got the wherewithal all the time and a few dollars to, to pay my way. So we've had some unbelievable trips in my last 25 years. That sounds pretty awesome. Well, rolling to question number two here. Not too sure how big of a, a music fan you are, but if you had one last concert to go to, see anybody alive or dead, who would you go see? Well, my favorite band growing up was Super Tramp, and I saw them in 1979 in Calgary at McMahon Stadium, and they were unbelievable. And Krista Berg was the intro band, and they were phenomenal. Breakfast in America, but all this stuff before that. So definitely Super Tramp. Nice. Great, uh, timeless music. Right on. We're going to go the the same shot with uh with a hockey game here if you could go back and watch one hockey game which one would you go see which one would you want to watch? My, my first game in the nhl is that right playing against the philadelphia flyers Ooh. in 1982 in calgary in the stampede corral in front of my f- parents i was talking about this the other day to lindsey carson i flew with the flyers from chicago to calgary the same plane <laughs> Back in the day, it's all commercial. And so I flew with them to get to Calgary. And Ron Flockhart comes over. He goes, Hunts, he goes, what are you doing? I said, well, I got called up. I'm going to play in Calgary to, against the Flyers tomorrow. He goes, well, we're, we're on the same flight. Because <laughs> we play junior against each other. And he's like, so and then there's Bobby Clark, Mel Bringman, all these guys there in the airport. I'm going, holy Jesus, I'm in the airport. You know, so, and then... You know, playing the game, playing my first game, fighting Glenn Cock in my first fight in the NHL, and, you know, all pretty good, exciting stuff. Yeah. Can I just take two seconds? I just let my dog out here. She's yeah, looking no. at me like furry eyeball. Give me two seconds. Yeah, okay? here. All right. Question number four. And we're going to carry on with the hockey theme here. And you mentioned your first scrap in the NHL, but if you could remember one scrap that would be your toughest one you've ever toughest square off you've ever had on the ice who would that be with well that's a that's a good one because you know fought lots of guys and i just saw the other day one of the first five guys in nhl history to have 200 major penalties first to reach 200 major penalties so 200 fights and i accumulated that in 796 games <laughs> in 1996 fought a lot of tough guys but i i was in new york first time in new york playing mass square gardens and uh beat up not don malone his brother dave their teammates and you know rangers had a good team and we we were really good in those days too and we were winning like 4-2 and we scored to make it 5-2 or Four two, I can't remember. Late in the game, thirty seconds, forty seconds left in the game, and the whole time I'm expecting because I beat up Don Maloney. I'm expecting Nick Fatio to come across the boards, and I no Nick Fatio, no Nick Fatio. I'm going, and as we score, and I'm thinking, oh, okay, I'm going to get out of here alive. And so we score, and Bob Johnson throws me on the ice with like thirty some seconds left, and I'm like. Okay, so I go out there, and then over the boards, Herb Brooks throws over Nick Fatio, and I'm like, oh, God, I'm going to die. Because he's, he's a big, powerful man, Golden Glove boxing champion, huge hands. Like, I got big hands. His hands are massive because I played with him in Calgary later on. So 
over the boards he comes center ice face off and i'm standing there right wing he's left wing and he spears me right inside my thigh right past my groin in that tender area just spears me it's like i'm like oh god i thought my leg was gonna fall off now i gotta turn and face him and he's give me the uh, come to hither give me the calling me on i'm like so i'm young and i'm dumb and i'm thinking well i gotta get this over with so i take one step towards nick and he reaches out and grabs me and he's pulling me at the same time he's punching me and he's gonna drill me and i i'm see this fist coming at me i duck my head and he hit me right on top of the helmet and my helmet exploded and I had never found it to this day. I don't even know where it is. It just exploded off my head. And I wrestled him in the ground and never really had a fight. So I was like, thank God for that. I got out of New York alive. But so years later, he joins the Flames and we're playing the Canucks. And he's with me and I don't know who's the centerman, Otto or somebody. And Craig Cox from the Canucks wants to fight me. And Nick has just joined the team and he wants to show everyone that he could fight and that he's, you know, because he, I don't know, but he just wants to do this. So uh, I'm standing there and Craig Cox is going, come on, Hunts. I'm like, so I'm getting ready. I drop my gloves and Nick grabs me on the shoulder. He goes, Hunts, I'll take care of this. So he stands in there with Craig Cox and they square off. And Nick, same thing. He reaches out and grabs Coxie and he hits him and he hit him in the left cheek and he broke his orbital bone. And I'm, I was standing right there, and it's like, boom. It's like taking a sledgehammer and hitting the side of beef and that, that thud. And then I look, and Coxie kind of shakes his head, and the whole side of his face is caved in. And I'm going, that was me seven years ago if Nick Fatio had hit me right there. Mm-hmm. And I went, yes, I never wanted to ever be a part of a fight with him, ever. And I'm glad I – he didn't hit me. I ducked my head because, you know, and, but Coxie fought him and he, he hung in there and he fought him and, and good for him. But I just remember that thud and I felt, I thought of my face if Nick ever hit me when he, when he reached out to punch me. And I thought, man, that, that was, thank God that that wasn't me. No kidding. So Nick Fatio by far, I, you know, Dave Semenko was, was tough and, Marty, they're all tough guys. You know, Dave was a little different than everyone because he he didn't play by any sort of rules. If he wanted to fight you, he sucker punched you. And if you got the best of him, he kicked you, kneed you, gouged you, did something to try to, you know, get a lick in to say that you were in a fight, which is what most guys try to do. So everyone else, they were just guys you were fighting. Mm-hmm. And But by far toughest guy to handle was nick fatigue wow that's that's a little terrifying to think about (laughs) but i I know well you know and 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 a lot of people ask me like were you ever afraid to fight were you ever scared to fight not once i was never afraid of anyone i was never afraid to fight because i was the fittest guy on my team if not in the whole nhl i trained like a madman and I boxed with Willie DeWitt. I trained with his trainer. I knew boxing. I, I knew how to do certain things to protect yourself so you don't get hurt. And I, I fought to not lose, not to fight to win. A lot of guys fight to win. 
and they expose themselves. And what you got to remember, the moment you drop the gloves, I don't care who the guy is. If he hits you in the wrong place, you could lose your life or your career. Mm-hmm. And that's what a lot of guys forget. They take it, well, I could slough off a punch or if I get punched and knocked out, I'll, I'll be okay. You know, but you get knocked out, you have concussive issues. I, I've never been knocked out. I've never had a concussion. So I've never had those problems. And I can't imagine what guys that suffer with those issues now because they weren't prepared and they didn't protect themselves when they did fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of that stuff coming up now in, in sports and in hockey now too, is that uh, CTE, eh? In that. Correct. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And it's mortifying to read and listen to guys and you just kind of like, wow. Yeah. You know, so that was my... That was my motive was to to survive and to make sure the guy knew he was. I may not have won a lot, but you're never going to see a video of me laying on the ice after a fight out cold or bloody or whatever. You know, Mm -hmm. I I skated to the penalty box after every one of my fights and I only had a couple hundred. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) No big deal. No big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing to it. Well, that's about 200 more than me, Tim. So we're going to end on, uh, well, I guess I got one more question here, but I'm going to let Tristan take the last one off me. He said you got one to, to toss at him. Yeah. You know what? I'm I'm a little almost scared to ask now, not because it's a hard question, but because it almost pales in comparison to the conversation that we've been uh, having here. But do you have, I, I've been to Arizona a few times. I'm just curious. Do you have a favorite food joint down there, Tim? <laughs> That's a good question. You know, last year we, we came down and, and this was the worst place in America to be in Mesa, Arizona. So everything was kind of hunkered down. Not a lot was open. Everything was restrictions. So we didn't get to see a lot. Sam and Luca's restaurants, Italian place, some friends of ours took it to, took us to. And, but we haven't really gotten out to see a lot. So that, that's tough because I, I haven't been tried to keep last year. We tried to keep our bubble really small and not move around a lot. Lots of deliveries, lots of takeout, pick up and take home stuff. So I'm looking, it's problem is it's COVID's not great here right now. So it's another one of those things where we have to be careful, but I'm tri- triple vaccinated, so I'm not that worried about it. The the deck at Lacenta's golf course, which is Wayne McBean, he's a former hockey player. He they own own a golf course here in Mesa called Lacenta's, and their deck at Sunset is fantastic. And that's the last place we were at before we went home last year, and it's the f- was the first time we went into a restaurant after they lifted all their restrictions so no masks no mask restrictions on anything so the uh, bartenders the hostess the wait staff they all nobody had masks on we walk in we got our masks on like we're going to a normal situation we're going in with all our masks on and we had our crew here from moose we're going over there for happy hour we walk in and we were like we're we're the uh, minority (laughs) nobody had masks on the hostess looking at me like like did you not forget did you not realize that you don't have to wear a mask anymore (laughs) we're like well we wear a mask till we at least get to the table here yeah darling you know Mm -hmm. so 
yeah so i haven't really been around a lot to to see what what what's going on to be honest with you okay i was going to give you a recommendation of one place that i like but i just googled it and it says permanently closed so i'm guessing it's uh it was a victim of the kind of covid times here so i'm oh I'm, yeah oh I'm, I'm wow. sad. I'm sad to see that. I haven't been down there a ton, but I had a really good meal there. And the, the guy, it was a barbecue joint. The guy even took me back to show me the, the smokers in the back. But, oh yeah. Well, there's, there's, there's lots of good spots for barbecue down here. Yeah. We've been to a couple, but you know, I, nothing that I'd go, well, you've got to see this place, you know, just regular, regular spots. Yeah. Makes sense. Right on. Well, that's the uh, that's the five burners, and let's uh, transition to the to the body of this. And and Tim, I'm pretty interested to to kind of dive into you know the younger you, growing up in Calgary, mixing hockey and the outdoors kind of thing. When was the first? When was your first kind of entrance into hockey, and when was your kind of first entrance into the outdoors? Do those things kind of merge? Well, yeah, it was you know being in hockey. Hockey, you know, in the uh, late seventies, going to Fort St. John, Cam starting getting involved with learning to fly fish Fort St. John, and then when I was in Camlets, Ryan Walters was a big fly fisherman, and I really, you know, so we did a little bit in when we were in Seattle. He took me out a couple times in the Skagit uh, Valley and and river and stuff, and. You know, not, those were, you know, they were trying to get steelhead in those days. So a little different than just fly fishing for uh, trout. Mm-hmm. And then just transitioning when I was, you know, into the NHL in the early, early 80s, you know, the Bow River and Calgary, growing up in Calgary, lots of friends and buddies were in the fly fishing business and fishing on the bow. So I've done lots of trips on the Bow River and then, in around Calgary, all those little areas and going down to Fernie and going on the, on the, some of the rivers there, St. Mary and the Elk River and, and down there and just kind of just introduction to fly fishing. So not so much as a kid, but more in my later teens and early twenties to really started uh, getting into the fly fishing. And, and then as I went through my career, more into traveling and going into bc and out to the coast and salmon fishing and all that nice was it the was it the opportunity that kind of got you hooked on fly fishing or because we we do a lot of bait fishing out our way to be honest we do a little bit of fly fishing but i'm curious to know what the what the hook was the proverbial hook for for fly fishing well more just the opportunity because that was just you know the more more it was going on in 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 alberta and in in around there you know we there was guys that I knew that were doing some ice fishing in the winter and out to chain lakes and, and that, but just the bow, because there was you know, so much fly fishing going on, starting to be real popular, you know, and that was, that was the big thing for me. So it was a fly fishing scene kind of just getting rolling back then. And like. It seemed to be, it was, it was actually before the, the movie the river runs through you know was before that you know so and my my wife my brother-in-law my sister-in-law's husband his dad was a big fly fisherman and so we 
spent part of our time in Seattle in the summers. We were in Seattle. And um, Cass, my brother-in-law, we call his, his dad's big Cass. Well, he had been fly fishing forever. And he was tying flies. And so he was showing me some things and taking me to some places, got me into a, a, a float tube and all this different type of fly fishing. And that really kind of, you know, that was well before all those, you know, it really became a fat. I was, mm-hmm. you know, I had, you know, and, and hard, equipment and stuff was hard to come by. All of a sudden it became a fad while everyone was selling it. Never, it was everywhere. But so Big Cass was teaching me and took me some places in eastern Washington and Pass Lake and Lake Lanise and all these places in in eastern Washington to go and go in a float tube and catching these these big uh, trout. And then I got had some friendship with some friends in Kamloops area, Merritt, and I took them up to Merritt. We were in those Kamloops rainbows and fishing up there. And so kind of how a lot of that developed. Nice. So you were, you were doing it before it was cool to do it pretty much. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I, you know, I, when I, you know, when I was a kid growing up and we were poor, so we'd go down to the Bull River out of, I live in a place called Acadia in Calgary and, drop down across McLeod Trail and Deerfoot Trail runs through there now, but the Deerfoot Trail wasn't running along the boat. So we'd walk down, walk across the boat and we'd have, you know, bait casting rods and we'd we'd catch suckers and once in a while we'd get a rainbow, but lots of suckers and stuff. And yeah, you know, just getting a tug on the line was the biggest thrill, right? When you're nine years old. Oh yeah. And, you know, we we'd cobble together a bait casting rod and go down where there's some worms, dig up some worms, go down and dangle these things in the water. So that's kind of like the early part of it. But these guys are going by in drift boats fishing. And I was kind of like, that looks pretty cool, you know, and, and pretty purist in those days. And they were like, they weren't aluminum drift boats. They were mm-hmm. wooden drift boats, you know, 1976, 77, 70, 70, you know, when we were that young. So, um, seeing this go on and we're like, Oh, I was pretty impressed, impressionable as a kid. And then later on, you know, now you're going down the bull river on a, you know, modern drift boat with a guide and you got two guys fishing out of a drift boat. So it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I, I feel like I, I don't want to underplay how formidable your NHL career was here and, and how this kind of can can mix into everything how many years did you play professional hockey or how many years were you involved in the uh, professional hockey scene there for well i was i played 18 years professional i played 16 years two years in the minors before i played 16 years in the nhl and so you know and then i retired in 97 my last year was in san jose and then i went on to coach 15 straight years in the nhl as assistant coach so I've been busy with the NHL for 33 or four years. Straight. Yeah, that's incredible. At that point, you know, and then a year or two off, went back to Washington. And then I was in, in Moose Jaw for six years. Yeah. And you also had the opportunity to coach a world junior team, correct? Yeah, I coached the world. I first stint with Hockey Canada was the U18 World Championships in Switzerland in 2014. And then I 16, 17 17, 18, and 19, 16, 17, 
1918, I coached the world juniors, two as assistant and one as head coach. Oh, that's cool. Since we got you on the podcast, I got to ask just about the juniors because it, it's such a unique tournament in so many ways. And I'm just wondering, it got canceled this year. How impactful do you think it is for those athletes to have something like that? I'm sure they're, they've are they been looking forward to it potentially their whole lives, I'm guessing, some of them. When you're a player, it's the thrill of a lifetime to be honored to be to represent your country in any means. And uh, so... To have the carpet pulled out from underneath him because, you know, you've got the opportunity to go and you've got to make the team. and You know, it, there's extra guys, so you really have to make the team. And then, and then you know, it's it's big. And it's big. You're in your draft year. You've been drafted. And, you know, so – and your family's involved and your team and your billets and, you know, to be a coach – so then you have all these people that are involved with putting it together, that Hockey Canada, the, the volunteers, the parents, the support staff. It's 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 mag it's huge. So yeah, it's it's a shame. It really is a shame. And it's because uh, it's for a lot of them, it's a once in a lifetime thing. Mm-hmm. I, I really hope that, that those those athletes get another shot at kind of um you know, getting to compete at that level again. Even myself, just as a fan, I, I it was noticeable the absence over the, the the holiday break there. Just being able to watch juniors, that's one of my favorite things to do over the break. So, let, let's hope that they get another shot at it. Tim, I wanted to ask you: were, you were drafted by the Flames, but not the Calgary Flames. You were you were drafted by the Atlanta Flames. Did I did I read that correctly? Yeah, drafted by the Atlanta Flames and. That was a strange draft because it was the underage draft. In 1979, you had all these guys that were pretty unique hockey players. So you had these baby bulls, all these guys that were they felt were good enough to play in the NHL and they wanted to play in the NHL, so they wanted to be included in the draft. And so they kind of petitioned. There was some legalese going on, and the NHL changed the draft from a 19-year-old draft to an 18-year-old draft. And so I'm, I played my first year junior in Seattle and the draft, there was a bit of a kerfuffle going on in June when the draft normally is, they changed the draft to early part of August. And my manager of my team in Seattle calls me and said, you know, Tim, the NHL is changing the draft. They're going to change it to an 18 year old draft and they're going to draft 18 year olds and you're ranked nine number 14 out of 25, the top 25 underage in Canada, you're going to get drafted. So you need to get an agent. You need to get, and I'm like, hello? Like, what? (laughs) Not expecting any of this. Just, you know, just playing my first year junior and getting my feet wet, you know, all good. And and next year, you know, my big year, I'm going to get drafted. Well, hello? Bingo. So draft day comes and and my agent said, I get an agency, and the agency says, well, just kind of wait by the phone. They, you know, we sent out your information to all the teams, your number, and there's three three or four teams that are really interested in you, and you know, Atlanta, Chicago, blah, blah, blah. So hopefully somebody picks you, and you'll, you'll get a call when they do that. So I normally went to work with my dad, and I was working with my dad, and and I stayed home 
So two o'clock in the afternoon, I get a call and it's David Poyle. And he's like, Hey Tim, this is David Poyle from Atlanta Flames. We draft you in third round, 54th overall in the NHL entry draft. Congratulations. Is this your address? Blah, blah, blah. We're going to send you a invite to camp and we'll get you all set up to fly you down to training camp and have you at training camp in Atlanta in September. I'm like, Oh wow. And, but the, the, big kicker was I had so many friends they're all 19 and we had a draft party and they were all planning on getting drafted and I was just going to support those guys well here none of them got drafted but me no way so a whole whole raft of 19 year old guys are looking at like who's this guy why did he get drafted so it was really uncomfortable and it turned out to be a bit of a you know, disappointing experience. Like they were like, no one was happy for me because they were also disappointed. They didn't get drafted, but they weren't happy for me. And I said to my dad, are you going to come? He said, are you kidding me coming there? All those people are going to be so unhappy. They, they didn't get drafted that you're going to be a, you're going to look like a leper and you're going to, they're going to treat you like one. So I'm not going. So I went with a friend of mine and she, he said, Holy mackerel, your dad was right. These people are not happy that they didn't get drafted and they're not happy that you got drafted. So it was kind of a uncomfortable situation and one I really regret. But by the end of the night, the guys were all good and they came over and congratulated me. But some of the parents, they never came around. So it wasn't too good. But uh, oh, man. it's a funny, sto- funny story because my wife, she met a woman in, in Annapolis and it was Alex Teixeira's mom. And she was telling a story to my wife about him being drafted by the Red Sox. And they kind of blackballed him. They were going to take him in the first round, but they took him later on. They told everyone he was unsignable. So he stayed in college a little longer and signed as a free agent. And I, I laughed years later when he signed that big contract with the uh, uh, Yankees for 200 and some million. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but they were afraid to have a draft party because – because the Red Sox said they 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 blackballed him. They said he was un because they they said to him, "Well, we're going to draft you, but we want you to sign now." And he's like, "The parents are like, we don't want to sign now. Why do we want to sign now? We draft us and we'll 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 talk to you." Well, they took that as well. They didn't want to do that because I think they were trying to get him cheap, mm-hmm. and that's what they thought. So they didn't sign, and they told all the teams in the league that he was unsignable. He was this and that. And then they scooped him up later in the, in the draft. So they skipped through the draft and they didn't sign and they signed as a free agent later on. I think he went to Texas, but you know, so she thanked my wife measurably because here, if they had had the draft party, it would have been a gong show like the one I went. Yeah. That's funny. And, your draft year was an interesting one too. It's a, it's almost hard to fathom when we look at the the NHL nowadays when everything's so you know the draft's so orderly and that everyone's sitting in the the stadium there. Well, not recently because of COVID, but like for the past few years. But that's when the WHA came into the the NHL at that point in time, wasn't it? And I'd imagine that that would be a monumental shift of of the way hockey was done across the, the nations at that point in time yeah it was it was totally different what was going on in both leagues and you know by by that fall 
a lot of those teams had kind of folded. And so there was really shifting towards just one league. And, you know, Edmonton was gravitating into the NHL, Quebec and Hartford. I think those are the three. And so the WHA was kind of like that was over because they had that they had that card in their hand because my my first year I played in Birmingham and that was the Birmingham Bulls of the WHL, but it was now the Birmingham Bulls of the Central Hockey League, which the Flames farm team, the Atlanta Flames farm team. And all those guys that play there, Rob Ramage, uh, Michelle Goulet, a whole uh, Rick Vive, they were called the Baby Bulls. And that was the, the end of the WHL, WHA. So they didn't have much uh, choice after that. But a lot of guys parlayed that those two leagues into lots of money, I'm sure. No kidding. There's, there's no question you spent your fair share of time on the road here, Tim. And uh, I'm kind of curious, you know, you get into the, the fly fishing scene in your teenage years, kind of when you're accelerating through your hockey career here. And then I'm sure you, you got out quite a bit through your professional years as well. Did you ever have a fly rod toting in your bag with you when you're heading cross country to hit a different city? You know, I didn't, never did that. I just, I just didn't do that. But lots of times when we went to Florida or into California was always trying to get out on charter went out in the keys a couple times we're in, we're in Florida for a extended period of time so went down and did some did some flat fishing for some bonefish and nice. tarpon and then in California got out and did some tuna fishing offshore in when I was even in San Jose in the barrier went out and did some tuna fishing you know and never seemed to be the time of year to go off Vancouver and, and do any salmon fishing, but those are the only opportunities I ever took to, to go fishing when I was playing when you're in a city. And yeah, I love, love Florida getting down and, and getting in the, just, just south of Miami, just not quite all the way to, to the Keys, but Key Largo. So it's only about an hour and a half south of Miami. You can get in some flat fishing and, and catch some, some nice uh, bonefish and some uh, tarp in there. Yeah, I guess the the tackle setups quite a bit different than than your typical rainbow setup that we you, you'd have. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and the, and those rods they're a lot longer, and you know, it it wasn't until I don't remember the years that they started to sell rods in four pieces. You know, my early rods are two piece, uh, nine six rods for float tube, nine feet for river fishing and, and so you're two piece and then they went to three piece and then they went to four piece so i got them all i got a raft of rods and i've got the big long two-piece cases the three-piece cases and then the four-piece cases <laughs> and those are great because you know they're easy to manage and yet they all they're all as good as each other i mean you know like anything else fishing is no different than golfing or anything you want to do it's gear intensive Mm-hmm. and it's features and benefits and have, are they worth spending the money on right yeah my best rods are my early rods you know nice early on before orvis rods were you know commercialized and just they just banged them off for sage rods that came out of bainbridge island in the, in the northwest just beautiful 
equipment and you know they work they work better than the modern stuff and they feel better so yeah i use a lot of my old stuff just as much as my new stuff so with some of those charters were you sneaking out while the other guys were heading out golfing was that the case or what was the yeah you bet yeah 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 and once in a while i'd get a guy i a teammate or when I was coaching, I'd, I'd take one of the other coaches and say, come on, uh, just go a little boat ride and have some fun. And, you know, just guy that was willing to go along and uh, teammate, you know, I, I never, you know, I was one of those guys like nowadays you, you pull up into a professional hockey league team, whether it's professional sports teams parking lot and you got 10 black SUVs, 10 black BMWs or 10 black, they all look the same. Like athletes are like sheep. They just follow each other around. They all do the same things. They buy the same cars. They live in the same neighborhood. It's just, you know, and I was never like that. I did different things. I, I, you know, like Jim Blinsky and I early on our careers, we'd go into a city and we'd get on the subway and we'd go downtown New York and we'd go into the, and go out to the Smithsonian in Washington or go go on a tour in Boston and see all these things and just get to really know where we're at instead of just living in the hotel and living in the rink and get an education of what you're doing. So I did the same thing when I'd go fishing and get a charter, go out and you know, you know, I I, I coached a guy and you could go on and go on Instagram and check him out. It's Joe Pavelski. He's plays in Dallas. I coached him in San Jose and he's, he's an outdoors guy. He, he's got his crew of guys. He plays with in Dallas, some of his buddies, the neighbors and stuff. And they go, they go shoot birds and they, they fish and they do all kinds of things. And Joe, Joe's one of those guys. He just doesn't follow the herd along, you know? And, and so I follow him on, on, on Instagram and he's got pictures of his He's got two bird dogs, and they, you know, he's got video of them going out fetching, fetching birds and all this. It's so cool to see a guy that's so well-rounded that does other things than just, you know, do the, you know, follow the, the herd of sheep around, you mm-hmm. know, so it's fun to see. A lot of the other conversations that we had with, that we've had in the past here with, uh, on the podcast with professional athletes, they, they really use the outdoors as an outlet to kind of get away, de-stress, you know, just get away from the noise and obviously do something that they, they enjoy doing as well. Yeah, and, and that and that's, you know, and those are the guys that, you know, whether it's the outdoors or doing something else, they're doing something. They got a, they got a wood shop in their garage or they're, they're doing something other than just kind of the doing the normal things that all guys they kind of tend to do, you know, like they're just – it's and I think it's really healthy and obviously for guys like yourself that are just they do it it's 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 getting outside breathing fresh air and and being active is really healthy especially in the times we're dealing with now the mental health issues of being locked up up in your house having being can't go out and see friends get out and walk with a buddy and whether you're hunting a deer or you're hunting some birds or fishing or something it's so healthy for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've actually seen uh, like through you know hunting numbers and fishing license sales and stuff like that have have gone up you know unbelievably since since COVID has hit here. 
in Manitoba. And he was, I'm sure you, you can't even get a fish finder in Manitoba right now. Yeah. It's pretty yeah, wild. Well, that, then that, and I think that's, and, and yeah, and, and RVs, the RV, you can't find a, can't buy an RV. So people are, people are survivals, survivalists. They, 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 you know, they want to, they want to, they don't want to be cooped up. They want to move around. They want to be out and they want to walk and they want to, you know, so it, I think it's, in a lot of ways, it's a good thing. And I think the, the good for people for not just allowing themselves to just sit and, and rust away by doing nothing. So getting out and being active is very important for mm-hmm. the health of everyone. Mm-hmm. I'm curious. I want to just skip back to the, your, your hockey and your fishing here for a quick second. Did you have a favorite city? Like was, was Florida your, your kind of favorite spot to head to? Cause you knew, know, you're going to get out after some bonefish or. Yeah. Your... One of my favorite ones, California, you know, the sun and all any coastal city. Cause you know, even if like we used to go in, like going to LA, we had a, uh, guy used to come along. He was a sports site guy and he used to get a, group of guys and go do something let's do something and and i i was like him and i were like blood brothers because i always want and same with jim poplinski we always want to do something so we're always like what can we do we're going to the city let's get everyone let's do something so we go to la we we do this we do that so we one year we we got a charter uh guy taught us how to sail so we went out of malibu went up the coast and sailed a boat taught us all about sails and how the boat worked and that was a raft of fun so much so like i love you know i love playing in vancouver because of the coast and then san jose la when you went into there and then on the east coast you know obviously florida is the best because weather's great but you know boston was always a favorite because you can get out in the water in boston we had a friend well this sports psych i was telling you about maxi offenberger's his name he was outstanding and he had a home and he had a restaurant in boston he took us out he had a one of those boston whalers big big boston whaler took us out took us for trips out and just wheeling around and told us about places he'd catch striped bass and all these things and so it was just fun you know the coastal cities are my favorite for sure I, I, I had another hockey-related question, too, and I was kind of strolling through your, your bio there, Tim, and I noticed that, you know, that there's some awards there that you were nominated for, but you won the, the Ralph T. Scarfield Award, which is a humanitarian award. Can you, can you tell us what you, what you won that one for? I'm guessing it was kind of related to some of your community activity or something like that. Yeah, uh, Skirfield family, and, and they're still friends to this day. I mean, you know, Ralph and Sonia have passed away, but a good fr- my friend John Lauder, who's the rancher that I fly with, he's good friends with Kathy Skirfield and Mitch, and they live in Kelowna, and uh, so he's close to them. So we keep in touch. And, and when I was in Calgary, I always wanted to get back to the community, and we met a couple in Barbados, and they had a, a child that had cystic fibrosis so i wanted to kind of get involved with something and i thought you know get involved with cystic fibrosis would be fun because i met this couple and they had they're from st john newfoundland he owns a bar there called Greensleeves in st john and dick and carlin so but at the time reggie lemelin was the spokesperson for the cf charity that was going on in calgary it was uh 
called 65 Roses Sports Club. And they would get corporate people that would contribute $1,000 a goal per night. And they get draw a night and get their game. And then they'd be sponsored for that game. And and they had a dinner to kick off the year and all these corporate people there. And so it turns out they traded Reggie. And, and I said to right away, I said to Rick Skaggs, who was PR director, I said, Skaggs, I want to get involved with the CF group. I want to get involved with the 65 Roses Sports Club. So we got involved and it turned out to be great. It's lifelong friends. And Ken Reed, who is uh, a great Canadian skier, his nephew had CF Andrew. And so we got involved with them. We did, they called it a ski weekend, CF ski weekend up at Lake Louise. A couple of years, we missed the playoffs. And all those crazy Canucks, Steve Paborski, Judy Limeweber, Todd Brooker, Ken Reed, whole raft of these, Karen Percy before she met Kevin Lowe. They would bring him into to Louise. And we had a kickoff night, kind of a, banquet and fundraiser and then you skied all day with your, your group you had groups that would ski with one of the crazy canucks and i was part of being a celebrity and and then later on they would teach you some gates and stuffing and then on sunday we'd have the dinner saturday night and sunday they would have a, a race that all the crazy canucks would race each other and we'd all be up there and have fun so what a tremendous fundraiser and charity would be involved with all the people and then at the same time just around i'd been involved a couple years with their them and i met a couple i was involved they had a downs uh child and he was a real good business guy in calgary a bunch of car dealerships his name was jerry wood they own wood uh motor group in calgary and so got involved with jerry and with uh, the canadian down syndrome society and then I met a young guy came to Calgary. They had, we had a kind of a con- convention for young families, introduction to what it's like to, you know, have a Downs baby and, you know, moving onward to integrating your child into school and all this as a Downs child and, you know, how they go through early childhood and into adult uh, life. And I met this guy, his name was Maury Grant, and he was from Barhead, Alberta, not far from where the Sutters are all from. So we knew the Sutter family, Daryl and Brian and Dwayne and Brent, all those guys. And so he had this, he was in living in Merritt. And he said, you know, Tim, he said, our young boy, we're going to raise him in Merritt. We live in Merritt. They don't have enough um, money to help for a, a support to have him integrate into the elementary school and, and kindergarten in the merit. So we were trying to raise some money. So we we're thinking of doing a cattle drive in merit. And here's how we want to do it. You know, it's kind of like a golf tournament. So you're going to have one celebrity with five or six people, you know, drive a herd of cattle down the, the mountain into merit, into the, the rodeo grounds, and then we'll have a big dinner and fundraiser on a Saturday night. And then Sunday, we're going to do a cattle penning thing. Do you think you'd want to be involved? I said, yeah. I said, I rode a horse in the Stampede Parade. I could ride a horse anywhere. <laughs> you know, we're trying to maneuver through manhole covers and all that down the streets of Calgary. I could ride a horse anywhere. You know, I'm city slickers. I'm like, ah, I'm in. 
So little did I know. So I get out there. We, we, we're going to merit, you know, Daryl Sutter's involved, Brian Sutter, and Lee Laskowski, and, and all these guys, Paul Cruz, and, you know, Dean Kennedy. He's looking, he's, he's involved. So we get all these guys. And so I go out. So we get to the hotel. I think it's Friday. Yeah, Friday. Friday afternoon, and I said to Maury, I said, so uh, who's going to give me a horse? He goes, well, there's a family. They, they want to give you a horse. He said, they'll meet you up at the ranch, up at, the ranch at 5 in the morning before we take off. He said, they're called the Lauders. So, okay. So I get up there, and there's John Lauder and his three boys, who's my best friend, the guy that I fly with to go on all these trips. We go up there. So I didn't know this, but his boys, before this happened, his boys said, hey, Dad. And I was playing for the Canucks then. I had already gone from the Flames to the Canucks. And they're going, hey, Dad, this, this guy, this, he's coming into town. Uh, they, they need horses for these celebrities to ride in this cattle drive. Can we loan a horse out? He goes, we don't loan horses out. They're all work horses. We don't loan, we, we don't loan horses. They're not like a bike. You don't loan a horse out. No, no, Dad. We've got to learn a horse out. Yeah, this guy, Tim Hunter, he's he's a Canuck. He's a he, we, we, he's a good player. We like him. Blah, blah blah. And he's like Jesus Murphy. So he, they talk him into doing this. So I get up there and and get out of the truck. And there's John and three boys there. And, and I like, uh, how are you? And he's like, oh, I'm good. How are you? And he's like a little bit of a limp fish, you know, handshake. I'm like, oh boy. So, but the boys are all excited. So I'm into the boys and. We're having fun, and slowly John warms up, and he's it's warm. So we have I ride with him and his three boys, and a three or four other people, and we ride down the mountain. We're pushing these cattle along, and I got some old nag they give me. He's like twenty five year old chalk guy. It's called he's called, and you know just get me down the hill. This horse kind of thing. That's that's what we're we're loaning Tim Hunter. So we get down, and and good day. And we had lunch at the River Ranch, which his family used to own, and Merritt there, and right off the highway. And so that night they had a big dance and fundraiser. And I sat with John and his wife, and, and uh, my fam- my wife, and my girls, and we're we're there, we're sitting with the the whole group, and we had a great time. And all their friends, and there were a big table of like twelve or fourteen. Well, the all the Sutters and all the hockey guys, they're all sitting together with, at their own table, and they're not sitting with the people that they loaned them horses. So the Lauders are kind of going, you know, this Tom, Tim Hunter's a pretty good guy. He, he's like, all those hockey guys are over there, and they're sitting together, and he's not with them. He's sitting with us. He's with us. He's, he's part of our group, part of our – he's a pretty good guy. So the next day, they have a, the cattle petting thing, and John's got – you know, he's got he's got the right horses for this event. They're champion horses. He goes, we're going to give you a good horse, Tim. He says, we, we like you. I'm like, <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> so they, he gave me a Cadillac horse. and we, we didn't win, but we came second. And he says, he says, I don't care whatever you do, but you've got to beat all the hockey guys. If any hockey guy beats you, that's not good. So a couple of the ranch people won, and we came second. So I was the, I was the first hockey guy in the cattle penning. So that was good for John. 
So we've, we've been lifelong friends since. And so that's kind of how I got involved in the charities and how I won the Scurfield Award. And, you know, it was nice that everything was personal, that we knew people. We had new people with the CF child, we knew people with the Downs kids. And we've known them since. We've, they've been lifelong friends. And I still do lots of work in the community for the Flames and the Flames alumni. And uh, those those two are dear to my heart. And it's amazing how that that's a fantastic story. First of all, and, and second, it's just amazing how entangled we become in in our communities and how much they give to us and how much we can you know try to give back ourselves. I'm also wondering too. I, I'm thinking about like very difficult times in my life where I've um, you know needed to gain perspective we'll say and i i've leaned on the outdoors very heavily and sometimes that's been professionally where i've been struggling professionally i've had to you know i can think of a few hunts i've been on or relationally when i've been struggling relationally chase i know i've been on a few hunts with you after a few breakups and you know they kind of helped me weather the storm but tim have you ever like leaned on the outdoors in that way to kind of weather the storm or get you through a situation and, and if so, what, what was that kind of like for you? Well, that's a good question. Challenges. I was going from trying to get out of hockey into coaching and just get over the hump. And we went on a, we have a good friend. We, we just stumbled upon him. We were in the north. We were flying home from Dawson City. Came across U, the U, Northwest Terra, Yukon, and then we were flying south. We went to Watson Lake. And we were flying, we got into Watson Lake and we we're asking some people in Watson Lake, we want to fly down the the trench from, you know, Watson Lake down through across Kinsey Lake down to Cornell, PG. And there's an area that just north of Terminus Mountain there where you come across from Watson Lake and it's just northern BC. And there's a guide outfitting territory there called Scoop Lake Outfitters. And they have a kind of a and b in the summer because they don't really flange up until late august for the moose and the and the sheep hunts and so we we flew into scoop lake and met darwin and wendy carey and they have just an amazing guide outfitting territory there they have world-class sheep and goats and moose and grizzlies and well you can't shoot grizzlies anymore but beautiful country and so we stayed got to know them and so one year they asked if we were willing to do a, a pack trip to take 25 horses from main camp scoop all the way out to their furthest spike camp called denatia lake it was five days and it was john and i one guide john another guy called john the guide and then John's boy, Ian. And then for the first two days, we were on our own. And the girls, Darwin was flying his daughter and a girlfriend in ahead of us to feed us dinner and then cook us breakfast and prepare us lunch. So two days, we're on our own. And then the next four days, the, we had enough supplies and the pack horses. So we had 25 horses. And then the girls joined us. And... Uh, for the first two days, we saw more wildlife. We saw everything. But for the next four days, we never saw anything because we had two 16-year-old girls in the pack train with us, <laughs> and they yacked the whole time. So, but what a phenomenal trip. But I was kind of like, you got, you're on, 
this trip and you get lots of time to think and you're just wandering along and you're just walking along with a big old horse now you're on a saddle and you got three or four horses behind you and somebody's on a saddle with three or four horses behind them and you're going through you know as you go along you go through the you know the the brush and a little bit of muskeg and then you get up and you start climbing the alpine and then you get past the alpine now you're in you know there's there's nothing there's no trees there's no bushes nothing you're walking across the scree and you've got trails down back through the alpine to the next kind of camp thing and that was a real great trip to kind of reflect on you know how you know we went into some places that you know they were they've only had a few humans there before and to reflect on the simple things in life how people had nothing before and we didn't have much on that trip you know we're going to plywood shacks and going into stay in tents to go to i'll move on move these horses on to the next spot and uh, there's a there's a movie made uh, it's called the eastman valley where we went through it's a famous movie we went through that country and just so incredible to reflect on you know simple things you know you're on a horse and your meals on you're in your pack train and you got to start a fire and to cook your food and you're washing in a, in a lake or in a river in the morning and uh, you're not shaving. And so just simpler times for sure. So that was, that was the one trip probably don't know if I'll ever be able to get on another one of those again, but I'd like to, but a very special opportunity to, to do something and more of a favor doing it for Darwin and Wendy than anything else. But uh, really, really great opportunity to reflect on just being thankful for everything you had and seeing what the simple life is all about. I'm glad you, you mentioned that Tim, because like when I think about my own experiences too, really what I think I valued in those instances was, when you strip it down to the bones a little bit more. And I, I honestly, I think that's what hunting and fishing does to us in a lot of ways is kind of take it down to the core and what we're really about in a lot of ways. It it kind of allows you to put other things in perspective and say, hey, like, you know, things can be different or I've been in, I can manage here. So like I can maybe manage back in the professional world or back in the, my relational world a little better too. Right. So I, I'm going to get through this is what I'm trying to say here. Oh, oh yeah, for sure. And, and you know, what's fear, you know, we, we went into our, actually it was our first night. We go into a camp. It's called Buckbrush. It's a plywood shack. And the girls, it was actually, sorry, it wasn't our first night. It was our third night. So the girls were staying with us and they stayed in the shack because it was a plywood shack and we stayed in tents. And yet the winter before, so the spring, they go out to check all these camps. So they usually fly in with their little super cub and check it out. So the winter before, they usually leave a big 45-gallon drum with a, latch top so you can't get into it full of the lard flour sugar and all those things and some of the nuts and everything they keep in the camp so this grizzly came in he came in a small hole on one side of the camp through the plywood and the two by fours and he went out through the other side carrying the 45 gallon drum 
so a bigger hole and he rolled this thing for two miles trying to get this thing open he couldn't jumped on it couldn't get it open and they finally found it two miles away down a valley like this guy really was trying to get this bad boy open because there was probably lard scent or grease on the outside and he thought well i gotta get this thing open he could never get it open so they finally found it but they were showing us the hole he came in and the hole he went out and i and then we saw the tracks of some other bears in the neighborhood during just before we got there and i'm kind of like and we're we did not have our gun John, the guide, had a gun, but we didn't have a gun. So we're kind of like, okay, well, I guess we got to trust John <laughs> and his instincts. And the girls were in this plywood shack, and I was like, well, they felt all comfy because there was a stove in there, you know, one of those old cheater stoves. But they felt comfortable because they could close the door in the plywood shack. But but nobody showed those girls the hole that the grizzly came in, and mm-hmm. those grizzly went out. And years later, we laughed. We talked. We talked to his daughter, and like, you girls, you're 16, and you're all comfy, and you're teasing us because we we're sleeping in the in the tents and these grizzly shits outside, and you're all comfy in the shack. But nobody <laughs> ever showed you those holes. That grizzly came and went. You know, we went to the first time we went into this lake I was talking about earlier. We went to, and they had a sign-in sheet. And so we're flying around in the north, first time, in my buddy's Coors can with a motor on it, is 180, and sign-in sheet says that at the lake we're at, big fish, big eagles, big bears. Saw a sow and a cub down at the spawning creek, and this is June 5th, and we're in there on the 8th or 9th. So we walked down the spawning creek, and we saw the grizzly tracks, and I'm like, oh boy. And we had bear spray. So we're thinking, okay, we've got bear spray. And we're sleeping in tents. So the park service flies in to get the camp ready for the summer. And because we're, we're the second people in, they're the third. And they're just getting the camp ready. And the, and the park service guy goes, young guy goes, how you doing? Good, good. So how long have you been here? Have you seen any grizzly? No, we haven't seen anybody. We heard there's some, we saw tracks. Down. We have a camp defender, right? And we're like, What's that camp defender? Huh. He's so he says he says you know shotgun, you got slugs and and shot. You know we got bear spray and he starts laughing and we're like, oh really? He said they're gonna stuff that up your rear end and use it for seasoning. Bear spray ain't gonna do it up here, pal. You better have a shotgun and slugs because if you get attacked by a grizzly and they want to attack, you're in trouble. Because the bear spray is not going to do it. So the next year we came, we had a camp defender, and we've always had one. <laughs> because you know, if you go down in a in a plane and you crash, the wolves or the grizzlies will eat you, right? Mm-hmm. See, I had just assumed that you were going to bring your hockey gloves, Tim, and just shake them at the grizzly, and that would have been enough to kind of send them <laughs> in the other direction. There. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Just dangle them. And go. You know, these things do come off. You know, <laughs> I, I was talking to my some of the guys here in Mesa where we're at are from Moose Jaw and they talked to some guys back home in Moose Jaw and they had a storm and these guys are like they're on the, on the ice every day ice fishing and they weren't going out today it was too much too cold and too snowy they weren't going out and that is surprising to hear 
you know what I, I get that sentiment though because i i feel like at, there was a point in my life where i felt like i would go out fishing no matter what because that's just what you did but i've come to learn that sometimes it's just not worth it you, your shit just breaks and your your truck won't start or something and you get turned around on the lake when it's this cold out you're you're in trouble you're in deep trouble. yeah well these guys they live right on the lake so they're they just oh, yeah. basically drive their quad out to their shack and and but for them to you know you know and then that's the nice thing about I, when I coached the Moose Jaw I lived at Buffalo Pound so I didn't I lived out of town so we were you know Sundays Saturdays depending on where they're playing or not we we're we we're out and you know go out play cards and it was a nice day you're outside ice fishing but usually you know and lots of guys had some nice shacks so it was never. A bad experience because it was always nice and warm anyways yeah we're, we're pretty uh fortunate to have a good friend of ours <laughs> has fully committed to two things in his life one is duck hunting and the other is ice fishing so he's got a, a huge shack it's very well built plus he has uh him and his brother both have trucks on tracks that pretty much get get you anywhere you need to on the ice there you go yeah, yeah that's that's nice yeah, I just wanted to come back around to the your grizzly story there, Tim. And, you know, I spent quite a bit of time up in a polar bear country when I was flying. And uh, grizzlies are starting to come back up that way, too. And some polar bears can do a lot of damage, but there's nothing more nastier than a grizzly bear coming into your camp, pretty much. Those guys just, I don't know what it is about them. They just get that in their mind, and that's destruction zone is, is all they do. Oh boy, they can do some damage. We when we went back into this lake, I was talking about this this spring summer. It's a native camp where we go into, and these the they have a hunting camp there, and they have wall tents. So they take the wall tents down, but they have the plywood up and the plywood platforms. And the grizzly had been in there, and it it tore apart everything they had every coffee pot it had every cooler that was there it was it had grizzly punctures in it they had a couple sleeves of red solo cups and there was i was looking for a red solo cup there wasn't one red red solo cup that did not have a puncture in it <laughs> it was unbelievable there was more stuff strewn around i was like god this is just a it's like ground zero it was it was awful i felt so bad for those guys yeah you know they when they hunt they have a cache up in the thing and when we went they have a bear locker but that's just for campers you know not for those guys because they're they set up camp there and they come in in the fall bring a group of i know they bring a lot of young teenagers up there to introduce them into the north and hunting so they bring the group in and but oh man, everything they had was decimated because a grizzly had gone on and just 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 demolished everything. Mm -hmm. It was just amazing how the destruction. So that's it was tough. disappointing to see. A lot of uh, a lot of work goes into camps like that too. So it, it's tough. And you know, it's not just like he can haul all that stuff in and in one haul most of the time. Lots of time it's you know you're bringing in one of those needed items every time you come in, kind of thing. And over over years, you get your stock up and your stash up, and then camp becomes more comfortable every time you head in yeah we're just glad that the grizzly didn't get a hold of the boat and because there's a there's a boat there and we we always 
take a motor and a little a little two and a half horse gas motor so we can we can troll around and and fish out of and thank god they didn't get the boat <laughs> <laughs> no kidding yeah there's there's a lesson eh? don't leave your cooler in the boat when you're up north because then you'd be really you'd be really up the yeah, creek right kind of rolling to the to the end of the podcast here tim i'm curious now that you're down in arizona is, is there any fishing opportunities you're chasing after out that way or are you just down to relax a little there's a little bit here i've got a couple swirl lake and trying to remember the other lake they're they're dammed up in the salt river and they fish they get some bass in there and stuff so a couple guys that i partners with here we're thinking of getting some going to bass pro and buying some rods and doing something trying to get out and wet a line somehow but not terrifically it's just not the place you know there's some guys here that shoot skeet and uh, they go out and so i have never done that so i'm thinking i was thinking of buying a shotgun and and doing some of that but we'll see how it goes nice there you um, go. never really got into it but i'd like to learn to shoot better and uh, a couple of my buddies they they go out there three or four of them go out there's a place not far from us here in mesa where they go and they have a kind of a, a skeet thing and then they do the other program where they walk through and they, these things pop up and they shoot them i'm not can't remember what that's called but uh, oh, yeah. like, i'm not not really a hunter yeah i've never really gone because primarily i've always been playing when hunting season's mm-hmm. on shot lots of birds pheasant you know in southern alberta go out to brooks and scare up some pheasants and shoot some pheasants and then my buddy john's had some on his ranch i introduced some and brings up guys and he rents out his one of his ranch houses and they come up and they shoot uh, pheasants but so never been that guy that's gone out to shoot animals but you know i i i I, we did that pack trip for our guide outfitter and but i want to go on a on a hunt i want to go on a hunt where it's either a big moose hunt or a sheep hunt and just go along and just be there when they see it and they shoot it. Cause mm-hmm. it's amazing to see those animals in the wild. I've seen lots of moose, lots of sheep, but to see one where you're actually going to shoot it and it's going to be a trophy. I have a good friend in Maryland. He's a wild man. He just came off his third year in a row. He shot two cats they're females, and they're only about 120 pounds. He just shot a 190-pound male cat in Idaho. Wow. And he has a wall. He's got a three-story wall, fireplace in his place in Maryland. He's very wealthy. He's got more mounts on the wall than you can shake a stick at. He's got one wall. It's all fish. He's got <laughs> one wall. It's birds. And he's got one wall. It's all animals. And he has, and he just, he's going to mount this last cat as a live mount, full-size mount uh, cat. Yeah, so yeah. he's been around lots of that stuff. And so I'm looking well, forward when I see Walt's live mount. Because my daughter walked into his his den and he's got a full mount black timber wolf. Oh, wow. it's, a, it's a big dog. And she walked in and she's like stood, she was mortified. She thought it was a real dog. Jeez. <laughs> it was, thought it was a real wolf. No kidding. He looked at that thing and went, OMG. Yeah. Uh, so kind of, you know, interesting stuff. It's not my deal, but uh, my buddy Waltz loves it. 
Well, if you ever want to come along with us, it seems lately we we go on a lot of adventures, but never come home with a whole yeah. lot of stuff. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? It's 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 like fishing. It's not the fish; it's the fishing. Yeah. It's You'll not the hunt. It's not the hunt. It's the hunting. You know, just being out there and and yeah. going out and going going through the the experience because that's you know what you know and back in the day it's it, it, people talk about cleansing the soul and just a good day on a boat fishing or a good day walking through the woods looking for something to shoot mm-hmm. it's all worth it. it's kind yeah, of since, since you're down in arizona i was going to suggest if uh if fly fishing ever loses its challenge to you maybe consider that archery elk hunting because i know <laughs> if you want to if you want some frustration in your life there's there's one way to introduce that and that's to chase elk with a bow so oh geez yeah yeah and arizona's got some opportunity actually chase i'm not sure if you know but i think arizona is one of the tougher states to hunt elk in than in some of those other ones so like it's, idaho or uh, montana so or where do those 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 elk must be up in like flagstaff yeah and up in the upper yeah. yeah it's a pretty right. tough pretty tough draw you to get into that they're they have some like uh very managed game hunting units so they get some really really gorgeous animals out that way but do they get those desert sheep here in arizona or are they only in california the big horn those, those are california big horns in california likely i'm not a sheep expert by any means and then the desert big horns mexico for sure i'm not too sure how far if they come up into the states at all I imagine they would, okay. but they're more of a mountainy. I mean, there, there's, I mean, mountains in Arizona, so it just yeah. depends on sheep. I, I, I'm seeing here just on the the old Google that there there are some populations, some desert bighorns in Arizona at a rough rough estimate of about six thousand specimens. So oh, there you go. Yeah. Oh, oh well. Cool. Well, I'm not gonna go out hunt one up, but yeah. Well, if I if I get out and shoot some skeet. And I get a gun in my hand, that'll be a, a new thing for me. Well, that's always yeah. a good time either way. So, yeah. Um, if you're there up in Manitoba, I got to toss you out the invite to get get to get your waders on and get you into some dirty water for the, the take you to the world class catfish fishing in the Red River here. I don't know if you've ever caught a channel cat on the fly rod, but no, she's a good tug. Yeah. Oh, fun. Oh, don't come in December, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no no what's the what's the prime time to fish for those spring yeah usually spring is pretty hot and then in the later fall it gets pretty hot because they're they're summer spawners after they spawn they cool down a little bit they're not as not as active and then so up to start of june the fly fishing is pretty hot for them oh fun yeah oh, cool it's a good time anyways that's that's pretty much it from my end I got to say, cool. I didn't know what to expect rolling into this podcast with you, Tim. I, you know, I was looking at your, your, some of your stats on the internet there to really get a feel for you. And for a fellow that holds the, the number nine spot for most penalty minutes in one season in the NHL, you're, you're pretty humble. <laughs> yeah. Well, hockey's been really good to me and it was a thrill to be able to play. And, but yeah, I'm pretty grounded. Just, like to I love people love meeting new people love talking about the things that i enjoy doing and you know you never forget uh, your roots and you know had some great experience being in the outdoors with lots of great people so i'm very fortunate 
Tristan, any final words there, pal? Well, I'm not sure if my dad was serious on this one, but I got excited when we knew you were coming on the podcast and I asked him if he had any questions for you. And he, he wanted to know how many times that your nose has maybe been out of place in, in the sport of hockey. You know, not many, if any, because my mom, uh, her side of the family, she had a motto and she'd say, you know, a hunter or a shoppy because she was her maiden name was shoppy. You know, a shoppy when you see one because they'd be blowing their nose in a bed sheet. So big <laughs> nose runs in the family on that side. My uncles, both of them have the same nose. I, you know, I know it's had the, the chrome and the bark uh, stripped off it a couple of times, but not broken if at all, because wow. If you saw my mom, you'd know where I got my nose from, for sure. <laughs> well, and good reflexes, too, judging by your first NHL fight. At least that got you out of the, the way of Yeah. That. Well, you know, you, you, you know, your face is a big circle. And if you tilt it that direction, it becomes a real small circle when someone's trying to punch it. Yeah. And that's what you learn when you box. If you show them that big circle, you're going to lose a lot of fights and you're going to have an ugly face. And not that a mind's pretty. But if you tilt it this way, it's hard to hit. So I learned I learned those uh, tactics a long time ago. There you go. One last life lesson. Well, uh, we really appreciate you coming on, Tim. I learned a lot today, and we hope to maybe catch you down the river one of these days. Yeah, you bet. Uh, you bet. My my pleasure, guys. Great talking to you guys. You've got a great podcast. It's fun to listen to, and look forward to hearing our conversation. It was great. Thanks. Big thanks to Tim Hunter for coming on. Tim, I love the stories, love chatting with you. And like I said in the intro, I'm sure there's going to be another opportunity to to talk a little bit more. Hopefully we get to out for some channel, channel catfishing or something and uh, get a few lines wet. What do you think What do you think's more more powerful on the on the rod there, Tristan, a Chinook or a channel cat? Actually, you didn't link up with a Chinook when you were with Andrew, eh? Just Carly no, did. no. I didn't touch a Chinook. I, I lost the bet and I had to hand that fish over. So, <laughs> well, it looks yeah. like we're heading west again as soon as COVID yeah. smartens up. So, yeah. But I have caught a few big lake trout in my time. And let me tell you, they're, they're close. Those, those two are close mm -hmm. fish. And uh, you know what? Maybe our listeners could tell us too. Sheldon, what do you got going on your end? A couple of things is that if we do invite Tim Hunter out to do some Channel Cat, I know I've invited Matt Hendricks to come out as well. So that might be just like the two best guys in the boat to tell stories back when Tim Hunter used to coach Matt Hendricks with the Washington Capitals. So that might be super interesting. But, um, yeah, what's going on, on my end in the store? We've got uh, the same products kind of that have been there. We're fully stocked on all of our sweaters. So I know a lot of people were complaining uh, right before Christmas that we're out of our green crewnecks. So they're all back into, into the play. Again, with our hats, some of our hats are – Still on back order. We're running into the same problems, I think, as everyone else. But we got a lot of cool stuff on there. Like, if, even if you don't know exactly what you want, say, to get to your significant other, we also have those gift cards available. So we can buy a gift card and then go in there and pick out exactly what they want. And we got a bunch of new decals in. Or they're, they're the same decals, but we're all restocked on them. So if you want to decorate your ice shack or your your rod case or whatever your boat this summer, grab a, grab a decal next time you, you pick up a hat. And the other couple other cool things... Um, to look forward to is first of all our hats are available at harvester outdoors so if you're in the area of selkirk and you need to grab a hat or some 
some, you know, or maybe a two-in-one hat and some bait, go down to Harvester. And uh, we're going to be in uh, McDonald's Sporting Goods here in the next uh, month or so. So keep an eye on that. It's in uh, Portage of Prairie. So, yeah, big things happening in our store. And thanks a lot to anybody that's uh, supported us and bought some of our merch. Yeah, awesome. Excited to get the, the hats out and about, the decals. I always love nothing better than a, a good sticker, let me tell you. The, the one thing I'm kind of bummed about, though, is that we, for those who might have been listening and haven't seen our social media, we did have to delay the the ICE event just with the complications and stuff like that. So that's that's kind of shitty, but we're going to be looking to replan it, and hopefully we'll be able to put on something even bigger and better. So sorry about the crappy news, but we thank everyone who's kind of supported us through through it all. So. And anything else, fellas? Any yeah. final finals? Well, I just want to say one last thing that if you want to check out iHunter, I know we talked about them in the intro. We didn't leave a little trail of breadcrumbs for you. Go head over to web.ihunterapp.com. And if you're downloading some public land maps, you can use a uh, promo code Panoramic30 to get yourself 30% off there. And uh, if you just want to check it out, download the app off your app store. And it will be one tool that you will not re- regret downloading. Thanks for laughing, Sheldon. <laughs> well, if that's it, until next time, yeah, I want you all to keep those those knives sharp, keep that powder dry, and keep those jiffy batteries charged. Okay? Catch you on the next one. <laughs> <laughs>